Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Take care, brethren, that there not be any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ, if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance, firm until the end. And this is the text that we'll look at today. Of course, it stops there in the middle of a sentence, but I assure you that from a partial sentence, there is a complete gospel presentation of Jesus Christ. And so before we uh, begin our exposition, I'll ask that you join me in prayer. Our most gracious and kind Heavenly Father, living God, we come before you. Lord, unworthy, sinful, rebellious, deep in sin. But we come, Lord, as those trusting in Christ, looking to Him for this hope that will indeed be firm until the end and that will surpass even into everlasting life this hope that we have in Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son, man and God, Savior, friend and brother. And God, we just worship you this morning, thanking you for Jesus Christ and thanking you for his blood shed on the cross, that it does pay the debt of sin, Lord, that it provides his righteousness. It imputes to us that which we cannot earn nor obtain, God, but it is a free gift. And we realize, Lord, that according to your good pleasure and according to your mercy and your grace, your provision that we can receive this Christ, Lord, that we can trust in him as no other can be trusted in, Lord, for he is the only way to heaven. Lord, there is no enjoyable life after this one unless it be in Jesus Christ. And we pray this morning, God, that those truths and that reality of the gospel, this message of Jesus, the Savior, be so powerful that the knee would bow, that the tongue would confess, God, and that we would be broken over sin and joyful over what he has accomplished in glory and on the cross. God, we ask that you would draw us near and that you would come near to us, Lord, that you would give to us a great spiritual blessing, the knowledge and discernment of your word and your son this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So we'll notice we're really building upon that which we've seen in the previous verses through weeks and months of study. And verse 12 actually is speaking to these brethren, as it were, and, it, and it's a warning. And so we begin with a warning, but I would also submit to you that there is not only a warning as we arrive at verse 14, but there is a warning and then an assurance in Christ. And it says, take care, brethren, beginning in verse 12. And it's telling you the warning. It's just like uh, the gospel itself, that there is the warning after coming to the knowledge of Christ. There is the warning of the damages and the penalty of sin. And that is what is being described. And then we have this living God spoken of. We have this son, Jesus Christ, that it is pertaining to the message of today, the message of every day, uh, at least in this church. 
The message of Jesus Christ, it comes as telling us of his person and of his work, of his ability, of his desire, of his uh, holiness, of his righteousness, of course, of his justice. And then we are warned again about this hardening, hardening of the heart that would separate us or continue to separate us from God. And then we come to verse 14 and it says, For we have become partakers of Christ. Be careful not to have an unbelieving heart. Be careful that there is no evil one among you. Remind and encourage and exhort day after day, every day while this life is still living. Once and for all, reminding the saints of this Jesus Christ so that sin does not have a victory over you. And then it says, for we have become. What a message. Just those few words. For we have become. We would do very well to take careful this particular statement. Because the flesh would have us to believe that we have somehow become something according to our own effort. According to our own desire. According to our own ability. But that, in fact, is not the message of Hebrews chapter 3 verse 14. In fact, the message where it says we have become is talking about something that the believer has become. In fact, it is becoming a believer from an unbeliever. And it is speaking about a supernatural event that only happens if the Spirit of God has come, if God Himself has so decreed from heaven. And it is speaking about the total inability of man to do anything or to transform or to become anything. And rather, the emphasis is upon a holy God who is doing the work and that we may become something other than what we are. The sad portion of this text would be that many could read this text and so foolishly, with a hardened heart, not understand what we have been transformed from. And in reality, it's not that they can't understand what we have been transformed from because they have yet to be transformed. But the reality is that for the believer in Christ, we recognize that God has done a great work, a magnificent work, a unique work through the person of Christ that can be only applied by Him, that can only be received through Him, and that can only be recognized by his sovereign grace. For we have become. Take a look back at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11. And you may recall this. We'll start with 10. It says, For it was fitting for him from whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings for both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one father for which reason 
He is not ashamed to call them brethren. The text in chapter 3 verse 14 is speaking just of that. For we have become partakers of Christ. How have we done that? Hebrews chapter 2 has been very clear that God Almighty through His Son Jesus Christ has perfected salvation through suffering. He is the sanctifier. He is the sanctity. And he is the one who is doing the work. And what the text is telling us is that if we have become something, it is a work of God in Christ. Anything other than that is just the natural man. Coming forth from the womb, speaking lies. Sinner from day one. I bet you if you if we really understood sin, we would realize that even babies in the womb are already sinners. Pitching a fit. Not liking what they've been dealt. But the reality is that we have become partakers of Christ. Now, what does that mean to become a partaker in Christ? I would first have you understand that this is what becoming a brethren is really speaking about. To start at the, at the simplest form, being a partaker in Christ, uh, could be most easily summarized by saying that we have become the brethren to Christ. This is why he is not ashamed, it says, because he is the author, he is the perfecter, he is the sanctifier, he is the sanctity of salvation. The term brother or brethren appeals to the spiritual kinship to Christ by using terms of earthly relation. We think about it. We think about how close we are to one who is our brother. A tie that we can never undo, no matter how ugly, no matter how distant. A brother is always a brother. And I believe this is the appeal to such an earthly relation that the spiritual kinship that the believer has to Christ as one who is called brethren is such that it is a family tie that you can neither be divorced nor can you be separated. You cannot be snatched from the hand of God. And this is what it means to be safe, to be hidden with God in Christ, that you cannot be separated. And I believe the passage... As we continue to study, we'll build upon that. In fact, that is what perseverance is. It isn't human effort. It isn't human ability. It isn't where desire meets application. But perseverance is the fact that God will not allow His beloved to be snatched away. There is nothing to be prideful about in perseverance of the saints. There is nothing to be boastful about except it be in Jesus Christ that we may persevere because He is not willing to let go when we have given all that we have and our grip is slipping and we will not hold any longer. Christ will hold fast. The Bible says, He will hold me fast. That is the, the, the gumption that Christ has for his beloved that he will grab a hold of her like a man for his bride and he will not let loose because he knows someone else will want her and someone else will not care for her the way that he will Christ is doing just this 
He's doing it for those whom He calls brethren. I would say that I love all the people in this room greatly. But there's something about a brother. No matter, you know, take for instance how much I love I love Charlie and Jimmy and, and Pat. And they can do me right all the time. And my brother can stomp on me. And he can curse me and he can hate me. But I love my brother. This is what Christ is doing for his church. This is how Christ feels about those whom he has made brothers. The Christ who says, I and the Father are one. Now this is what this brethren kinship is all about. After Christ has proclaimed this, they hated Jesus. He says, I am the Father and one. This is why they hated Him. But this is what is so good about being the brother to the Almighty God, man, Jesus Christ. He has an eternal relationship with the Father. He claimed an intimate relationship with He. And we can as well claim this this very same eternal relationship through Christ. When Christ made propitiation for sin, when Christ paid for sin upon the cross, when Christ has called you to Himself and you realize that this salvation is the only and that this salvation is yours, Christ is saying, not only are you my brother, but now my Father is your Father. This is what the Jews didn't understand. This is what the the Hebrew people by large did not understand when Christ came and they received Him not. They said only Moses, only Abraham could have any similar relation. But even they didn't claim this. God is not your Abba Father, but Jesus Christ is saying, You're my brother and that makes God your Father. What a wonderful Father. What a wonderful Son. And becoming brethren now has such a wonderful meaning, such an eternal spiritual weight that it holds, but it can hold no weight unless we understand how we can become partakers and brethren to Christ. And the answer is very simple. We must be saved. We must be saved. Now for those of you who have been able to attend all of the services sometime last week, we looked at this passage, but if you will turn to John chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And his response, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? 
Jesus answers again, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said this to you. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. They do not know. We must be saved. We cannot woo it. We cannot pray for it. We cannot buy it. But it must be given and we know not whence it comes or for whom it comes. It's the wonderful thing about salvation. Jesus is saying here, only He can save. No one can come to the Father except through me. And the reality, again, is we have become partakers of Christ because He has made us brethren and He has made us brethren because He has saved us. He has saved us because He has caused us to repent and believe. The entire purpose behind the text up until this point is exactly this. Believe, for unbelief is sinful. Unbelief is the hardening of the heart. Unbelief is the sin that leads to the grave. Every sin is rooted in idolatry. Every idolatry rooted in unbelief. We sin because we do not believe that God will do what He says. Because I've seen kids... that would come home at dark because they knew their dad would spank them. And they would say, yes, ma'am, and no, sir, and yes, sir, when they answered an adult because they knew that the punishment was real if they did not do it. And the sinner, when he rebels against God in his sin, is saying, God has said that He will punish me, but I do not believe it, and I will wait and see. And until then, I'll do what I want. The Bible says we must be saved. In order to be saved, we must repent. We must believe. But we cannot believe unless the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached in our churches. And when should it be preached? Day after day. As long as it is still called today. We must hear the sound of the gospel. We must hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Unbelief is deceitful. Unbelief is damning. And we've been reminded over and over through the book of Hebrews to consider and to stick to this truth, Christian. Maybe Brother Mark can appreciate this. Consider this term here. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help you God. We take such a everyday, repetitive, tiny statement and remove it from its weight. Spiritual weight. The whole truth. Nothing but the truth. So help you God. And this is... The overarching statement that summarizes what we have 
in the first portion of verse 14. For we have become partakers in a Christ. This only Christ, the Son of God, the only begotten monogenes, the unique one of God, who is the whole truth. There is no other truth. Aside from Christ, there is no less truth or no, no more truth. He is every bit, part and parcel, the entire substance of truth. Both on this earth and in heaven. And not only is he the whole truth, but he is nothing but the truth, just Jesus Christ. There is no sin in him, the Bible says. There is no lie from his mouth. There is no deceit in his heart. There is nothing but glory to God in his mind, for this is the God-man who performed the will of God according to his obedience that he learned through suffering. So we have Jesus Christ, the whole truth. Jesus Christ, nothing but the truth. And then we have the statement, so help you God. The statement is made and a spiritual truth revealed in such an oath that we can have this Jesus Christ before us. And you may hear the message today and may walk out and these truths not be applied, but they would still remain. That this Bible would be present in front of so many unbelievers and so many believers and many will read it, yet they will not understand because they lack this last part. So help you God. To understand that Jesus Christ is the whole truth. To understand that Jesus Christ is nothing but the truth. There must be help from God. And the ironic part about that is that the help from God only comes one way and that is in the person of Jesus Christ. This is why Christ is the sum of the gospel. This is why Christ is every part of the gospel. This is why only Christ is the gospel. You must know Him to see your sin. He must give to you a knowledge of Himself if you are to know Him. And after you know Him, He commands that you repent. You believe in this Christ because He allows you to do so. That He commands you to do so. That He has changed your heart. And we'll get to that in a moment. And He has decreed that you do so. And this is the help that we receive from God. To know Christ. To see Christ. And to cling to Christ. We must be saved. Never a truer statement. Than in a courtroom. This Christ. That I speak to you of is Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. Son of Mary. Conceived of the Holy Spirit. And we must cling to Him. Jesus is not only the truth, but He says He is the way, He is the life. That is what the truth is. The truth is the way that we must live, the way that we must come. This is Christ. And the life that we have is not our own, but it is His. Purchased by His blood. Guaranteed by His Spirit. And seen 
at the end of this day called today. He is our help from God. Saved we must be. And that is a rescuing from unbelief. For we have become partakers of Christ. Look at Matthew chapter 19. This is one of those passages when I read it I say man that's my favorite passage and then later on you'll come to another passage and you'll say no that's my favorite passage. This is a wonderful passage about what is being spoken of in Hebrews chapter 3. Matthew 19. Begin by looking at verse 23. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, Then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said to them, With people, with man, This is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And so we ask the question, how have we become partakers of Christ? It is because we have received the truth, this living truth, this Jesus Christ. He has revealed himself to us. He is working Constantly. Lord Sabaoth, his name, the rest, because he is working diligently, efficiently. He has procured salvation for those who belong to him. And the truth about becoming a partaker of Christ lies within the text of Matthew chapter 19 where it's revealed to us that we can do nothing, but He has done everything. How can we be partakers? The answer is twofold. One, we cannot. But two, He has made us. He has done this mighty work. And then... Turn a little spoiler, but you'll probably forget it by the time we get there. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Such a short statement, but it backs up exactly what we continue to see. If you look at it again, therefore Jesus, that he might sanctify. There is both the sanctified, able to do nothing, and Jesus the sanctifier, doing the work of sanctity. The people, 
his people, the brethren, the partakers of Christ. Jesus is sanctifying these people with his own blood. Notice that it doesn't say that Jesus is able to sanctify you through your obedience. Jesus is able to sanctify you through your giving. Jesus is able to sanctify you through your offering, through your suffering. No, it says none of that, but it says that Jesus is sanctifying His people, the brethren, the partakers in His own blood because His blood is doing the sanctifying. He suffered outside the gate. Seems very trivial, first glance. But to realize that Christ has suffered in the flesh, outside of the heavenly kingdom where He has always eternally been present, a shame and reproach among men, yet here He is doing what we could not so that man could become partakers. Acts chapter 19, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? Now we talked about this a while back. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there even be a Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto that, unto what then were ye baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands upon him, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about twelve. Partakers. Through the gift of the Spirit. Salvation. Through the gift and the work of the Spirit. Christ has not left His people unattended. What does all this do? Having the Spirit, becoming a partaker, what does it do? How does it work? Romans 8.15 For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We now have the same Father. Christ is not only sharing His righteousness with us, His kingdom with us, but the wonderful part is that He is sharing the Almighty Father with us. And without Him, we can have neither. We can have nothing. The Bible is also very clear that without Christ... We were once children of our father, the devil. Slaves to sin, lovers of iniquity. Scripture proclaims such so clearly. And then 
Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. If you think the wonderful part about being saved is simply that you can live forever and that you won't experience the agony and the suffering of hell, you have missed the point. The point is once again, Abba, Father. Christ has made you a brother so that God can become your father and so that you will receive all that sons receive. I believe this statement is summarized in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. The summary being this. If you're in Christ Jesus, all things become new. Behold, the old things are passed away. And that is the reality. If any man be in Christ, the old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And so this morning, as we consider the failure of those wandering in the wilderness, take care, my brethren, the warning from the weeks before, the warning of unbelief. We come to the portion that says, for we have become partakers of Christ. How do we do that? Well, we only know one way. If all things have become new. Have all things become new. Are we new creatures? Do we have a new master? A new father? A new brother? Do we have new desires, new goals, new challenges, new battles with sin every day? Do we have a new reason to live? A new purpose to our lives? New love for the Savior? New everything? Partakers of Christ? To which we ask, what then is Christ? Who then is Christ that we may partake of Him? Him who is good. Well, when we, when we consider this, we must consider that Christ and partaking of Him is partaking of His nature. Not the human nature. We have a dose of that that would turn Christ from us if He were not the Savior. But we're talking about Christ's divine nature. Being a partaker in Christ means that now we have inherent in us this desire to fulfill what He has commanded, what His Father God has commanded of obedience, those being His sheep, that we take not only away from this nature of sin, but that we put on the righteousness of God in Christ. And that we unnaturally, according to the flesh, begin to naturally, as born-again Christians, to desire the Word, the meat of the Word, the Gospel that is Christ, the substance of the Word. To be a partaker in Christ means that we partake of His nature, means that we partake of His grace. That's exactly what the text is telling us. This grace and this mercy of God that has come to us, revealing the Christ, we are now partakers of that grace. The grace that sends God to the cross. 
the man Jesus Christ. The grace that provides for those who are his enemies. Love. Compassion. Salvation. Being a partaker of Christ also means that we are partakers in his will. That our actions and our speech are like Christ. That we have the same mind that is in Christ. A mind to serve this God who is now our Father. Being a partaker of Christ means also that we are a partaker in his righteousness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. If there is no righteousness, we need to wonder if we have salvation in Christ. And if the righteousness comes from ourselves, we can be assured that we do not, in fact, have salvation. So we partake of his nature. His grace, His will, His righteousness, His love, and is demonstrated to the peoples of God, to our neighbors, to our enemies, and to our Savior. And the one part of partaking Christ that is also essential, might even say it's first is to be partakers of His Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 11, But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. If we have received the Spirit, then we can begin to comprehend the truth of the Gospel. We can begin to comprehend the person of Christ. We now understand what salvation really is and what is required. And that as we continue to partake, His Spirit is leading. His Spirit is infilling. His Spirit is one that we do not wish to quench, but we wish to be filled with and with nothing other than the Spirit. And then we are partakers, of course, in His life. That is a life on earth that is proclaiming and preaching and declaring the gospel. And that is most certainly while today is called today, that is our duty, that is our responsibility to be a partaker in the life of Christ that is ministering to sinners, that is compelling, that is begging them to come in. As Pat was talking about with a sense of urgency sense of zeal and is also talking about partakers in a life everlasting the life that he has procured in his own death and resurrection again not to be separated because that is the gospel that Christ has come Christ has died for sinners that Christ has been buried and resurrected and ascended Likewise, they too will be resurrected. Then the text says, if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. It can mean 
many complex things and to some it is very simple. This is the part that I spoke of where many will simply label this perseverance of the saints and say that it is the best evidence of true faith and salvation in Christ. And I would say that there's much more to the text. If we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. The statement would be generally true of perseverance. But I do not believe that it is the best evidence. The best evidence is not merely a life led by the Spirit. But the life of a sinner transformed by the receiving of a spirit. The evidence doesn't make someone guilty. It doesn't simply exonerate someone from a criminal charge. It doesn't make them innocent. The truth is what does that. The Bible says, may God be true and every man a liar. And so I would say that the transforming by and the receiving of the Spirit is the greatest evidence of salvation. It's the greatest evidence of partaking in Christ. And the first and greatest evidence of this salvation can even be further diluted take away, strip away all the excess, the wonderful things that we have in Christ. And the evidence points to this as being the greatest evidence of faith and salvation in Christ. And it comes in the form of two words. He arose. Christ arose. This is the greatest evidence of faith and salvation that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come to those who are wicked, those who are evil, those who are unbelieving, and He has died in their place and He has risen. And risen indeed. I like to quote it often, and I'll do it again. We sing a song, a hymn. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. Christ arose. But as we continue to look further, we still see that it says we will hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. And what does that mean? Christ has given to us his gospel. Very simple. And in receiving this gospel, it is indeed necessary that He has given His Spirit. Perseverance is but a foregone conclusion that comes with true regeneration. And what the text is saying is what it has said from the very beginning of Hebrews chapter 1. Remember this. And, and then again in, in Hebrews chapter 2 after God has described Christ throughout chapter 1 and chapter 2 it says, Remember this. Heed this warning. This is the Christ who has saved you. Don't go any further. 
Don't take a step back. And that's exactly what verse 14 is saying. If we hold fast the beginning of our assurance. The beginning of our assurance is knowing that we have a Savior who has come, who is born of a virgin, who has lived a perfect life, who has gone to the cross, who has died, not a bone broken, who has been buried for three days, hidden behind the stone at the tomb. And when they go to look for him, he has risen. He has risen indeed. And then he has appeared to over 500 and he has ascended to God. No other man could do that. Amen. Only God. The beginning of our assurance is the life of Christ. And what we will hold firm to the end is that Christ arose. I find it very difficult to say that Christ or any other mere man would go through such a great trouble if there was no hope to be had at the end. If you or I wouldn't prepare and we don't prepare like Christ has. If you and I would work and we don't work like Christ has. Very few times will you see that a man works and labors and then just gives up at the end. And I don't believe that Jesus Christ has done that. I know that Christ has come and he has suffered unlike any other man. And he has done all the things that we have spoken of today. That the scripture makes mention of. And he has done that so that man would be saved. And that our assurance can hold firm until the end. And what is the end other than the beginning? The beginning of life eternal. The beginning of a life that is free from sin. Life that is free from bondage. Life that is full of joy. Something that is truly rewarding. It's not of this earth, but it's of heaven because it is in the presence of this God, Abba Father. And so when we come to a text like Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14, and it talks about becoming a partaker of Christ, it's very minuscule, really, the holding fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end because it is just like salvation. It's really nothing that we can do. But what it is, is it's a re-emphasis of trusting in Christ for not just some things, but for everything. For we must trust in Christ that we could believe. We must trust in Christ that He is perfect. We must trust in Christ that He is the way, the truth, and the life. We must trust in Christ that He is a propitiation. We must trust in Christ that He is the Lamb of God. We must trust in Christ that He is the Son of God. And we must trust in Christ that all that He has said comes to fruition when the end comes and the beginning of the new is here. Amen. 
the text is very clear. Might have saved him a few lines. But God is very diligent speaking to us dumb creatures. Foolishness of preaching. When he could have said, we are partakers of Christ. Trust in him as you always have. For if there's no trust in Christ, there's no salvation. If there's no salvation in Christ, there is no good work. If there is no good work, there is no brother to Christ. If there is no brother to Christ, there is no church. If there is no church, you're here for no reason. I would submit to you that we are here for a reason. We are here for a purpose, and that is to glorify God and to exalt Christ. And it must not simply occur on Sunday mornings. And it must not occur on Wednesday evenings. And our worship for Christ must come to a culmination on Sundays when we gather together because there is so much joy and there's so much to be filled with this Spirit that we come together and it is magnified as a congregation in corporate worship. But it must not be the only, it must not be the first, and it must not be the last. This is not to discourage anyone because we know that people have various reasons why they cannot attend but I couldn't tell you a good message of mine from a bad one but this past Wednesday night Barbara said Tim that's another message that you should have preached on Sunday and I spoke sort of quickly and it, it wasn't to harm anyone but I said this and I believe that it's true I said Barbara some people are hungry every day. And that is what the church should be. Hungry every day. You don't have to worry about missing the best sermon. You don't have to worry about getting the best preacher, the best pastor, the best teacher. If you are hungry every day, and that's what it means to be a partaker of Christ. We have the Lord's Supper where we see partaking spiritually, meeting a physical command, if you will, a physical ordinance. This is my body. Take and eat. This is my blood. Drink. Do this in remembrance of me. And what the Bible is saying is that if we are partakers in Christ, we would do this often. We would partake often in the nature, in the grace, in the will, in the righteousness, in the love, in the spirit of Christ. And the church is being so urged to do that and so reminded that if we are to partake of Christ, it is not to be here and there and every once in a while, but it is to be constant. As the text says, from the beginning... Of our assurance firm until the end. Partaking of Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father as we come before you. God we're just thankful. uh, Lord that you would allow us. To partake in something so holy. God that merely the touch of our hand. Or the touch of our lips would corrupt. But yet that Christ is so powerful. Christ is so precious. 
Christ is so perfect that his blood does wash white as snow. God, and to understand that human flesh can corrupt every single thing in this earth, it is a great spiritual truth to know that the gospel could come, that the message of Jesus Christ and his spirit and he could come into our lives, God, and and the thing that could corrupt every other thing on this earth is unable to corrupt that gospel. Lord, for when Christ comes, he does the changing. He takes what is corrupt and makes it perfect. God, you take what is worthless and give it infinite value by simply applying the blood. Lord, we thank you. And we thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross. We just ask, Christ, that you would use your spirit and your word conform us to your image to transform us from one stage of glory to the next or to make us more righteous make us holy to make us pure God not for ourselves but so that we may serve you proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ in your church and to the world I give us a great love for Jesus love for his message, love for his gospel. According to your great mercy and your loving kindness towards us, Lord, that we should not perish. Lord, we also thank you for the food that is to come. God, and pray that it be a blessing to these bodies as long as these bodies be a blessing uh, to your kingdom and a service to you. We thank you for every spiritual and every temporal blessing, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.